live stream. You can zero in on this for those watching online. I'm, a, I'm wearing a Kansas City Chiefs tie. Now, I have never in my life worn a tie. Well, first of all, I haven't worn a tie this wide in about a decade. It feels like a clown almost. I don't know. But I haven't worn a tie this wide in a decade. Now, if I hold on to this, ties will be back to this width probably by the time I'm 50 or 60. You just styles. Young people, you haven't learned this yet. But your parents wore some of the stuff. It just circles around, just circles around. I see the tight rolls coming back in on some pants, and I'm like, whoa, never thought I was going to see that again, but it's back. And uh, so this is a wide tie, but I've never worn an athletic, a team tie in my life, ever. But seeing as we're 27 minutes from Arrowhead, from right here, and the Chiefs are getting ready to win their second Super Bowl. Had, I had to pull this out, and not only because it's for that reason, but this is going to tie into the message. That joke, I, I want to take credit for that joke, but it was courtesy of Sister Sarah Chester. Uh, you didn't want me to give you credit? Oh, my bad. See, I feel like I'm stealing your joke if I don't give you credit, though. My daughter tells me my dad jokes are getting worse with age. And I don't intend to change. But she did give me a compliment. I, I took this as a huge compliment. She said, you know who has dad jokes about as bad as you? Pastor Chad. So me and Pastor Chad, we're right there. Yes. I said, that's a great compliment. He has a wonderful sense of humor. <laughs> yes, we bonded in Israel. <laughs> so I was born, if you're... They do a great job. <laughs> that was before I had to have some of my suits taken out, though. I saw a guy at quizzing, coaching. Man, I'm not even in my message. What am I doing here? Saw a guy at quizzing, he was coaching another team, and he was very thin, and I said to my wife, I said, I've, for the first time in my life, I've reached the age where I looked at another grown man, and I said, I'm not the skinniest guy in the room anymore. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. But uh, if you don't know me, I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so I grew up a Green Bay Packer fan. I really wanted to see a rematch of Super Bowl One, Chiefs-Packers. I was cheering for it. My, my family were looking at the Chiefs. Thank you for keeping your end of the deal. But now having lived here for almost 12 years, I can say that I'm a fan of two football teams, even though according to the rule book of Chad Pittenger, you can't do that. <laughs> it's not allowed. 
I still haven't seen the rule book, but I'm told it exists. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I'm breaking rules today, but I am definitely supporting the Kansas City Chiefs. And so this morning, I want to preach on this topic, a champion will be crowned. A champion will be crowned. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, God, so much that we are here. Thank you that we are in a place that has heat and lots have been cleared. We've been able to be here and worship you and that we felt your presence, your power, God, but that you're going to speak to us now, Lord. Your word, it's rich and alive and powerful and it's just jam-packed with so many principles that we can grab and, and, and just adhere to and, and, and follow in our life, Lord God. And I just pray, help me as an individual, Lord God, to allow you to speak through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. The apostle, he, Peter, he, he wrote a letter and, uh, in Rome at the end of his life. And, and in it, he obviously is leaving some parting words, some concepts for believers. And apparently, he connected uh, with God calling them. He was saying, well, so God is calling them, and, and, and he connected that with what God was doing in the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, we had the tabernacle, and we had the priesthood, and we had the offering of sacrifices, and, and even in all of this, you see Jesus. If you miss Deeper Waters and you're downstairs, Brother Foster did a magnificent job launching into a new series. And my favorite part of everything he did today was just how he rattled off, which no doubt took some time to prepare, how he rattled off how Jesus and the cross was found in this story and this story and this story all throughout the Old Testament. You should really go back and tune in if you're just tuning in online and for some reason you're only tuning in for preaching. You got to go back after the preaching and listen to Deeper Waters again because he just did a great job. But but Peter, he looks and he sees some of these things, too, in the New Testament that were really laid as a foundation in the Old Testament. And in 1 Peter 2, 4, it says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, ye also as lively stones. Right now, notice it said lively stones. If you're sleeping, you're not lively this morning. If you're sitting here staring at me, you're not lively this morning. So everybody just take a minute right now and go, woo! Woo! Clap your hands. That's lively, okay? So we're lively stones, not dead stones. Our lively stones are built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable by God are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. God's plan was no longer Old Testament plan. Live in a tabernacle. I'm going to dwell just in the, in, in the cherubims and the tabernacle and the, and the pillar of fire above the building is going to show that I'm in that place. He now is like, you're the temple. You're the temple of my spirit. I have a different plan, but all of that points to you. So it wasn't just some 
weird Old Testament story. No, it was him preparing for the New Testament. And so now we are that tabernacle. We are his people. We're the temple of the Holy Ghost. And he wasn't just calling a specific bloodline or lineage, kind of like, you know, in the Jews in the Old Testament. Well, they were God's people. And, and Abraham was, was the father of the faithful. And he was the one that there was, they, they became heirs according to the promise by following certain things like circumcision. And it was, and, 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 they, and they adhered to these things in these feast days. But now we move to the New Testament and you see he's calling all of humankind. He's calling every man, woman, child. He's calling rich and poor. He's calling if you're old and young. He's calling no matter what language your, your first language is. He calls no matter what your skin color is. He calls every single one of us. And this is only made possible by the blood of Calvary, of the cross that Brother Foster talked about this morning. And because of that blood, the power of his spirit can be within us. And he was saying that we are stones that are made up in a spiritual house. If you pulled up, you notice that this is not just one. It, there was one brick laid upon another brick upon another brick. And that's the way that this church was built. You look at the outer walls, and it was brick upon brick upon brick. And, and Paul talks about this later. One brick can't say, well, I'm more important than you. Well, if you're in the third row versus the ninth row, if you're at eye level, all of these bricks are so important. And they were built one upon another to form this house. In other words, when he compares us to this, your lively stones that come together to make a spiritual building, what is Peter saying at the end of his life? He's saying, you are a part of something that is so much bigger than yourself. We are part of a team, is what Peter is saying at the end of his life. And he goes on in verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold I lay in Zion a. Are you guys from Kansas City or what? That was so ridiculously weak. That's not lively stones. Now what do we say when we see that word? It says wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a... There we go. The lively stones are back in the building. Somebody watching in line, online that's not from Kansas City is like, what are they doing? And then they heard chief. And now they're like, all right. See, y'all wish you were here. I told you. Laid a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he had, he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Now I just want to pause right here and I want to let everyone know, just a side note, sidebar, you're watching online, you need to know this very, very spiritual thought. This, the word buccaneer is not found in the Bible. I just want you to know that. I just want to clarify that. There is nowhere in scripture, it does not see anything about a buccaneer. Okay. That is the, probably the single greatest response I've gotten in a message in the last 12 years that I've been here. <laughs> he says, unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed or rejected, the same is the head of the corner. Now, you might say, what in the world is Peter talking about? Let me tell you what a cornerstone is and why it's important. In relation to architecture, as you see on the picture on the screen, 
a cornerstone is traditionally the first stone laid for the structure. A cornerstone, all other stones are laid in reference to that stone. A cornerstone marks the geographical location by orienting a building in a specific direction. Look at that. Oh, what? That one's more important. That one, well, you can see what's more important. The chief cornerstone is what everything else is dictated by that. And so, if I was to ask Chiefs fans here today, who is the cornerstone of the Chiefs franchise? <laughs> the majority of people, the majority of people are going to say this man. The majority, I'm sorry, Pastor Chad. <laughs> That's the Super Bowl last year, and I just, I knew, wait till he gets the mic again. Somehow, something's going to happen, I know. <laughs> you know, I tried to cough over somebody making fun of my team, my primary team, yesterday, and I went, that's because they were talking junk. And she goes, did you just choke like your team did? I was like. I'm supposed to be at a godly Bible quizzing, and I'm still getting. I wanted to text Aaron Rodgers right there and say, do you see the pain you put me through? I think most answers would be unanimous when you say, who's the chief? Who's the cornerstone of the franchise? Well, you look who's paid the most. You look at, I mean, when this guy, when they, when they thought that he might miss a game, I mean, like, people didn't breathe in Kansas City for a week. Well, for Peter, he was reminding the church, you have a cornerstone of your franchise. And the chief cornerstone is not one of us. The chief cornerstone was a man by the, by the name of Jesus Christ, who you are lively stones as individuals, and you are placed one on top of another, and you're, and you're put side to side, and you're put down in rows. And he says, but the chief cornerstone never changes, no matter how much time goes by, no matter what the day and age is, what culture and community say. The chief cornerstone remains the same, and the cornerstone of our franchise is Jesus Christ. But like so many other types of teams in history of humankind, it can sometimes be tough to let someone else in on the team. Oftentimes, it's because people are insecure. They're afraid of the new person stealing something that they felt they had a monopoly on. And some of you are already shaking your heads because you might be dealing with this on your job. Someone comes in new and be like, they don't take my, not take my corner office. I got the window. You don't, don't even play. Get out of here. Some of us deal with it on Sundays. Like I say, somebody comes and says, whoa, hey, you're, you're, in the, you're in the fourth row. That's my seat. But see, that's why the world makes so many movies about the struggle with the new person. 
Because everyone relates to that at some point in their lives. This happens on the cheerleading team, on the football team, on the work team, on the college, high school, scholastic teams, on ministry teams, and even churches themselves. You see, back then, Jesus died for an entire world. That means Jew and Gentile. Gentile just means non-Jewish person. Male and female. Healthy, deformed, rich, poor, free, bond, circumcised or uncircumcised, because that was a big deal back then. And Jesus says, I'm going to die for everybody, and we're all going to be one team. There's neither free nor bond. There's nor male nor female, Jew nor Gentile. Why? Because we are one. And so Paul, he starts talking about the same topic that Peter did in regard to Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Paul does so in the language of understanding the concept of a team. And that's why, too, at this church, we value teams. When we make financial decisions, we, you're going you're gonna, to, as a team, vote on someone for incredibly godly, capable, wonderful people. Two will get voted in and two will not. But you're going to say two of these people are going to represent us as a team making financial decisions. Our department heads, we have teams who oversee various parts of the church. I don't come and say, well, I'm the pastor. Bless God, you're going to do this because I'm in charge around here. No, 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 no. God is the chief cornerstone. And I work with a team of leaders to help lead and serve and guide and hear from God for the church. And so this is what, it's a beautiful team mentality and it's a biblical mentality. And so, unfortunately, though, we see this sometimes happen where Paul is using this language of team in regard to the church. And Paul didn't want there to be divisions or factions within, within the team itself, you know, subgroups of a larger uh, concept of team. But it still happens. We're all one big church, but there's sometimes you can go and there can be subgroups. This was happening back in the first century churches, and, and Paul hated it. He addressed it all the time. At one point, people were arguing about who was better. I was baptized by this person. Oh, yeah? Well, I was baptized by this person. And it actually became a big deal in the first century church. So much that Paul has to write a letter to the Corinthian church, and he has to address this because people were so, oh, you were baptized. Well, I was baptized. Well, I was baptized by this person. And so Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would with spiritual people. That's a great opening to a letter, huh? Well, it's not to the whole letter, but to the third chapter. And he says, I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or you were infants of Christ. I think we can already tell that Paul is not happy with the church. I had to feed you with milk and not with solid food. The things they got away with, I just laugh every time. If I got up next Sunday, I'll need to talk to you like you're a little infant. You can't even eat salad food around here. Half y'all wouldn't even be back the following week. He says, you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you're still not ready. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another. You're quarreling with one another. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, well, I'm a follower of Paul and I, I'm of Apollos, aren't you just like the world? Safe to say Paul was adamantly against this, this jealousy, this I want to make a name. I said, well, I'm a follower of this person. He was very, he was against that. 
He knew the value of a team. He was the one using. We don't see Paul preaching against teams and athletics. He's using them as examples in the church. Maybe Paul would have worn a chief's tie when he spoke too. Who knows? And Paul writes to another church in Ephesians 2, 11. He says, wherefore remember that you being in the time past Gentiles in the flesh. Those are non-Jewish people. In the past, they couldn't go in and worship. They couldn't go into the tabernacle. They couldn't, they couldn't offer the sacrifice. And he's saying, y'all were Gentiles. You, you, you guys were the ones who couldn't do You were called uncircumcised. Verse 12, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens of the commonwealth of Israel and strangers with covenants of promise. God's a covenant God. And he's saying, you're non-Jew. You, you weren't a part of that. You had no access to that. And strangers having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes in past, you were afar off. But now you're brought nigh. How? By the blood of Christ. Again, I didn't even know he was going to be launching today. He told me and I forgot and I didn't even know what he was talking about. But look at what God does here. The blood of Christ, the cross, the, the fact that Jesus shed his blood makes it to where we who, who maybe we, weren't, we didn't have access to the covenants. We should have never been in, in the family of God. He's saying because of Christ's blood, every one of us, it does not matter where you come from, where you are born, what language you speak, how much money you make, what your education level, every one of us are brought nigh because of Jesus Christ and his blood. And it says, for he's our peace who had made us, made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. To this day, there's still, there's still partitions that exist in subgroups. Humanity is one group. But there's partitions that are built between, oh, well, these people are more educated. Oh, these people have a different skin color. These people make a different amount of money. These people. Listen, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that wall of partition was torn down and we become one. We become one, one team. Because of his blood. And he says, having abolished, verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. The enmity, their hatred, that, that, that should be out the window. That should be gone because of the blood of Calvary. As a G.T. Haywood, I see a crimson stream of blood. Washing over me. One of the things that they loved, uh, that G.D. Haywood, that, that, as he wrote that song, it was washing away the color lines. That should still happen in society. He says, and came and preached peace to which you are far off and, that, that, and, and to them that were nigh. For though him we, or through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. It is through the blood of Christ that we all have the exact same access. Because in the Old Testament, they couldn't go into a tabernacle. You had to be a certain, you had to follow certain uh, rules and you had to do certain things according to certain times and you had to be of a certain ethnic background, a Jew. And you had to be, in order to offer the sacrifice, you didn't just have to be a Jew, but there was a subgroup, you had to be a high priest. And now he says, 
You're the royal priesthood. Jesus died, the blood was shed, so every one of us now can come in his presence, and we have access because of that cross. It's not one person. You see, this, oh, you got the, the priestly laity up here, or the priestly people up here, and the laity down here. That, that, that is not his plan. He chooses the foolishness of preaching, and so he's called me to stand here and preach his word to you, but me being in this pulpit does not make me any better or any more powerful than any one of you. If we're saved by that same spirit he's placed inside of you, the blood that he has shed, we are one team that needs to operate in our gifting and in our calling. And notice he says, we both, meaning I know we're different. I know we're different. You can look around. You can see, oh, okay, sometimes they speak a different language. They have a, I love accents. Anybody love accents? I love accents. I would walk up to every person everywhere, and I'd say, where are you from? Where are you? And if they didn't think, like, what is wrong with you, you know? And there's some racial tension in the world, so I'm kind of nervous to even ask that question, but I mean it with the utmost respect. I love, I love, 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 love accents. I love when people, when, when Keith's dad would come around, he's got the British accent. I'm like, I had a tom-tom back when you'd still, you know, put him, adhere him to your dashboard. Some of you still might do that. I don't know, but you'd hear it. And I always chose the English accent so that they would say, ahead, take the motorway. Like, I loved that. It was great. I love talking, you know, and, 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 then you have my friends from the north in Canada. They have a little bit of an accent. And I love Chris and Diana. They have the Jamaican accent. I love that. When I got on a Zoom call with people from their home church back in Jamaica, I loved it. I was just listening. I'm like, I love their accent. I love it. I love when, when people come in and they have, and, and there's just, it, it, it's, it's just this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing that people from all over the world, because of the blood of Calvary and his spirit, you become one body and one team and one family. And I don't want everybody to cook like me. Heavens no. I don't want everybody to talk like me. I don't want everybody to look like me. I don't want everybody to worship like me, respond like me, teach or preach like me. I love the diversity and the differences that we bring to a body of Christ. I love it. And so he says, we're different, but we're on the same team. The Spirit of the Lord has brought unity where there was division. And he says, now therefore, because of that, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. To us, we just say, oh, that's interesting. That's good. To them, that was life-changing. They couldn't go into a temple. They couldn't go into a tabernacle. They couldn't just walk into a worship service. They, they oh, you're, you haven't been circumcised. You're not a Jew. You're not, oh, you can't go into that part. You're not a high priest. And so they were always, restrictions were everywhere. But now Paul gets up, and there were actually arguments, even after the outpouring of the Spirit. There were arguments in the church about, what do we do with the Gentiles? How do we handle them? 
Thank God that when, when he lost his sight on the road to Damascus, God says, go get Paul. He, I'm going to change his name, take the scales off his eyes. Why? Because I've made him an apostle to the Gentiles specifically. I thank God for that. Because we read that and we're so used to just coming in and worshiping and feeling his presence. And we can do all the ministry parts that are available in the 21st century. For them, that simple line, hey, you ain't strangers no more. You're on equal footing. You're a fellow citizen. You're not just a citizen with lesser, lesser opportunities. He says, no, no, no. You're right here alongside of me. And he says, and, and, and it's in the, you're part of the household of God. This is why you hear brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, because we're family. We're a body of believers. And so, and so he says, you're a part of that no matter what. You're a Gentile. You get to be a part. For them, that was life-changing and I sit here and I still say, wow, we still get to be a part of that. And that's still life changing. And it's still the same source that makes it possible. It's the blood of Calvary. The blood of Calvary. And he says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being We had about 11 lively stones in our building today. Let's try it again. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Man, if the Packers ever make a Super Bowl, I have no clue what I'm going to preach, but it's going to be fun. But the way they're playing now, I never have to worry, so... He says, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth. You mean, wow, we're fitly framed together, but groweth ETH. We're not supposed to be just a static brick that sits there. Notice he said, lively stones and groweth. That means you weren't just put in place and meant to hold up, hold up the pew. He says, you're growing, you're fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for an habitation of God through what? The Spirit. There it is again. We're individual stones, and our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, but we become fitly framed together. We become, when we join together, we become a global force. Because I know, I know there's people that say, I don't need to come to church. I can worship God. You mean to tell me I need to be in this building and worship God? I'm a Christian. I can worship God wherever I want. Yes and no. Yes, you can be right now. If you're watching online, you are all by yourself. Jesus Christ is with you. You can pray. God can perform miracles, signs, and wonders right there in your heart. You don't have to be here. God will meet your need. Absolutely. But yet he says, you're part of a body, and I've fitly framed you together. Imagine if God, you repented of your sins, you were baptized in his name, filled with his spirit, and you said, I'm off to just do this by myself. Can you make heaven your home? I think you probably can. It's going to be a lot more challenging. But everywhere throughout the Bible, he has this plan about being part of a, a body, a building, a family grafted into a tree. Never once do you see a concept of someone being on an island. 
Never. Even when someone was literally on an island, John the Revelator, he's writing letters to the churches. There's still a connection to a church always, always. Even when you're literally on an island, there's a connection to a church. And so if you're here and you, I bless God, I don't need this, then you need to take that up with God because the way he designed it is there was always a connect point to a church, to a body, fitly framed together, joined together. Because imagine if we tried to do this alone versus when people come together that we say, we're this church, but we're connected to a section of churches. We're connected to a district of churches. We're connected to an entire country of churches, a continent of churches, a global organization of churches so that someone can go into a third world country. Well, they could never raise money on that, but they could come to the United States. And the United States churches could say, I love your passion and vision. I appreciate your calling. I want to financially support. And now they have the funds and the resources to go into an area that is underfunded, under-resourced. And they can go in and put in water and wells. And they can uh, build community uh, uh, college or uh, organizations for, for training so that people can teach locals in that area to take that gospel message out into various countries and continents. Right. I want to be a part I want to be fitly framed together with something so much bigger than myself. Amen? And so, yes, if you're here, if you're a guest, I, I pray to God that you say, I love what I hear. I love what I feel. Why? Because great churches are not made up of great seats and great lights and great, not even great singing. I appreciate them. It's not great wood panels. It's not great screens. It's not great ties. It's great people who serve a great God and realize we're fitly framed together to keep growing this team called the church, and it's only made possible by our chief cornerstone. See, so we could even call ourselves the chiefs. Maybe not. I have an absolute revelation about today's game. Um, one surefire thing, you absolutely, I'm telling you, it is prophetic about today's game. There's a football team is going to win. Someone's going to win. Now watch this be the first earthquake in Tampa during a Super Bowl or something. I can't, I'm going I'm to be a false prophet. No, a team's going to win. By the time America wakes up tomorrow, a Super Bowl trophy will be given out to a team who wins a football game this evening. And I had to make sure I wear the tie so everyone knows who I'm cheering for. But check this out. Look at this article from last year. Check that out. Can everybody see that? After Super Bowl win, Chiefs already eyeing a repeat of next year. Go to the next slide. Check did you catch this? The picture was from February 2nd. That's when the Super Bowl was last year. The article was written when? February 3rd. That's less than 24 hours of celebration. Some of these guys probably hadn't even gone to bed yet. And articles already started coming out about whether or not they could do it again. Man, that's tough. 
the next morning. This week, Tom Brady said, as soon as this game ends, I start preparing for next season. Man, that stinks to not enjoy it for a moment. I mean, could you imagine, Quizzers, you hand me this, and I just chuck this over my shoulder, and I say, all right, let's start talking about next month's quiz. But even this, this is awesome, guys. But you know what? Once I'm privileged to stand up here and say, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you take this husband to be your lawfully wedded husband? I guarantee you on your wedding day, you're not going to be standing there like, I wonder where that Bible quiz trophy is. <laughs> I feel like they moved it. Was it out there? But you know what? Your pastor will be preaching someday about Mark. And you guys are going to be like, oh, man, I can quote it. He misquoted it. <laughs> and Michael will be like, he's still using the New Living Translation. <laughs> and Michael will be raising little Michaels. <laughs> and they'll be in quizzing. <laughs> and hopefully not wearing masks anymore. But there's something that will always stand way longer than a trophy. And that's the fact that I'm a part of a team. And now my kids are a part of a team. And there's things that I hid in here that no one can ever take away. As much as I want the Chiefs to win, I realize that the pleasure of that win will only lead to a desire for them to win again. If they win this time... Anybody's just going to say, can they do it three times? It's going to be so temporary, and we'll enjoy it. But the team we're on is competing for eternal things. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, don't you realize, didn't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the, gets the prize? So run to win. I like this guy, by the way. It's not just about winning. You should have fun in the process. But I like how Paul's like, but if you're going to do it, man, you might as well win. I like Paul. I, I, I got that same line of thinking. Like, hey, I'm, if I'm going to go, I want to win. I'm not going to cry if I'm pout if I don't. But you better believe I'm going to, as Toby Mac, I told, the, I told the Bible quiz team, this is their theme song. I'm going to go down swinging. If I go down swinging, like, some of you are like, what? <laughs> anyway, Paul was writing to a church who understood Olympic games. They knew how athletes trained and competed. Paul said, hey, I'm going to use that sport as an example. And all athletes, he says, are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize. But their prize will fade away. But, hey, we do it. You understand the Olympic Games. You understand the Super Bowl. They're trying in hard for that. But tomorrow, they're going to be talking about the next trophy. Guess what? We are in it to win it too. But our prize, it does not fade away. He keeps things in perspective. Sure, I don't preach against sports. I don't think Paul preached against sports. But you better keep things in perspective when the thing that fades away takes higher precedent than the thing that, is, that runs for eternity. 
And so he, he draws their attention to the crown, to the Super Bowl trophy. And, and he says, but what we're going for, it'll never fade. And Jesus referenced this fact too. And I'm not going to be much longer. Matthew 6, 19, he says, don't store up treasures for yourself on this earth. Where moths and eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal them. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So because of this, Paul continues writing to that Corinthian church and he says in chapter 9, verse 26, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. You're in this to win it. What are you doing to spiritually prepare to win the eternal trophy that lasts forever? If athletes are disciplined to do what they're doing, there's no way that Patrick Mahomes should put in more time in what he's doing than we should put into what we're doing. And that's what Paul is challenging the church. Think of how much time Patrick Mahomes puts in to be as good as he is between weights and film and study and plays and everything. And we say, man, I want to be a good Christian. What are you doing? I show up on Sundays and hope that I grow. I want to do what I need to do to get myself ready. First Peter 5, 4, he says, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, you're going to receive a crown of glory that will not fade away. A champion is going to be crowned in the NFL tonight. And tomorrow the experts are going to be talking about whether the champion can do it again. But I want you to know the chief cornerstone has already been named champion. His side wins, and the end of the story has already been determined. And so, what is still yet to be determined is this. Who is all going to be on his side? Who's all going to be on his side? Unlike the NFL, which says you can only dress 53 players for a game, Jesus Christ has such a strong foundation. He says, to all who will, come. We just read about what Peter said to the church and toward the end of his life, look at what Paul says at the end of his when he writes to a young minister in training. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says, as for me, Timothy, I'm getting ready to die. My life is at end. It, it, here it is. I've been poured out as an offering to God. Time of my death is near. I've fought a good fight. I finished the race. I've remained faithful. There it is again, the, Paul's imagery of athletics and competition. He says, now the prize. I've been telling everybody about the prize, and now I can see it on the horizon. The prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on this day of his return. And the prize isn't just for me, though, guys. It's for anyone, anyone who is eagerly looking forward to his appearing. Imagine what the church would look like if we were as eager for his appearing as we were for, t for kickoff tonight. 
All that training Paul talked about, putting on the armor of God each day. Those are his pads. That's his helmet. He's at the end of his life. He's done well. A champion's going to be crowned shortly, but his crown doesn't lose relevance. It's eternal. And notice one last thing he says. He looks at his teammates. And in verse 9, he says, Timothy, please get here as soon as you can. Because Demas has deserted me. Because he loves the things of this life. He couldn't hang. He went on to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. And Titus has gone to Dalmatia. He says, Demas, he forsook me. Man, I thought I could count on him. He was blocking my blind side. <laughs> and now I feel all alone. I'm, I'm exposed. I, I need, Timothy, you got to get out of here. I'm at the end of my life. I'm about to get the crown. But my blind side's exposed. And so the pull of the world was too strong. The crown isn't for those who just had an experience. Some of you have had great experiences in God. But the crown is not just for those who had an experience. It's for those who remain on the team. Oh, yeah, but I remember when I got baptized. I remember when I was filled with the Spirit. That's awesome. But the crown is not just for those who had an experience. It's for those who remain on the team. And Jesus tried to tell his followers about that in Matthew 24. He said, many will turn away from me, betray and hate each other. False prophets will appear and deceive many. Sin will be rampant anywhere. Love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end shall be saved. So as you stand to your feet today, one of the keys to being crowned a champion is to endure. It's to endure. It doesn't matter what the score is in the first quarter. Goodness, the Chiefs have proved that time and again. If that team would ever play four quarters, they would probably crack triple digits. There are four quarters in football. And Paul knew that he was in the fourth quarter when he wrote his letter to Timothy. Peter knew he was in the fourth quarter when he wrote his letter to the believers. And they both understood the role of the team in God's church. But they both were imploring other people, stay in the race. Don't give up. Endure. You're going to win if you just endure. The eternal crown is waiting. Right now, you might have things on your mind and there's just distractions and, and everything everywhere. Just endure. The eternal crown is waiting. God's already determined the outcome. A champion will be crowned. It's just a matter of time. And we have all been called to be that building that's fitly framed together. Don't try and do it on your own. He blessed us with one another. Keep growing. Be that lively stone. And know, you know what? 
I'm going to endure. I'm not giving up. No matter what comes, the fourth quarter is here. The crown is there. I want to get my hands on that. And so church, let's find a place to pray today. Let's find a place where we can come and say, God, I renew my vow again. Lord, I'm enduring. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I'm not stopping. There's stuff all over the place, God, but I'm going to focus on you because Jesus, you're the one that, your blood is what made it possible for me to even be a part of this thing in the first place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Thank you for the church that you blessed me with, God. Thank you for connecting me, Jesus. Thank you, God, that I don't have to be just one specific background to have access to ministry and power and your spirit, God. Lord, but today, because of Calvary, I can come and bow a knee and raise a voice and shed a tear and be in the presence of God Almighty and know that I'm going to have a, a crown that is eternal that will never fade, Lord Jesus. You are always fighting for us. Heaven's angels all around. My delight is found in knowing that you wear the victor's crown. You're my help and my defender. You're my savior and my friend. By your grace I live and breathe to worship you. At the mention of your greatness, in your name I will bow down. In your presence, fear is silent, cause you wear the victor's crown.